Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but in my childhood, we, my family always took the Daily Oklahoman newspaper. I don't even know if that thing is still in print anymore, but when I was a child, we used to get that, and of course, my dad would get it for the crossword puzzle. My grandma, she would get it because Remington Park always put their, their race listings on there. Um, I probably, I don't know if I'm to say that in the church or not, but she would always learn to look at that, and she would always review that, and then uh, other people would get it for the editorials or for the articles or whatever, but I'd always go to the funny pages, the cartoon strips. Some of you uh, young people aren't going to have any idea what I'm talking about, but once upon a time in newspapers, which was a paper thing that came that they would actually have stories and articles written on, that's where you got your news. You didn't get it from Facebook, you didn't get it from Twitter, you didn't get it from social media, you got it from the newspaper. And so I turned there and I'd go to the funny pages, and there was always a comic strip called The Family Circus. Anybody remember The Family Circus? Well, The Family Circus, one of the things that was hallmark was there was this little kid in The Family Circus and sometimes they would, uh, it would show his movement throughout the day. And so he'd be walking around. And, so, and then it would trace his movement on the comic strip. So it'd show him and he was walking over here. Evan's looking at me because he ain't got an idea what I'm talking about. So he, they would walk over here and then he kind of traps over here. And then he'd move over there. And the idea was is just to show how many different places this little kid had gone throughout the day, throughout the house. And so it'd kind of go through. And it's like every single portion of the house would have these steps where he had walked all through there and it was kind of like the kid never stood in one place at one single time. Now you may be going what in the world Spence are you trying to get at? Well this morning this passage lends itself to a wide number of implications and applications. And the danger is that it's in my mind I start chasing rabbits and we could be here until next Thursday chasing all the different ways that this text, that, that, it, that it flows out through the passage this morning. But my goal, what I'm going to strive for today is to show what the text says, to show what the text shows, and to stop where it stops. So I hope you have a Bible with you this morning and I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. So grateful for Greg and for Hannah and for Janet and for Mr. Simon for leading us in worship. Thank you. What? Antonia, Antonia, thank you so much for leading us in worship. You know, sometimes you sit there and Greg starts off with a tune and you're like, well, this is something new I haven't seen. I haven't heard this tune before, but then it's the same lyrics to a song that we're used to. And so we're just so blessed as a church that we get to worship in this way. So thank you all for leading us in worship. Thank you, young men, for taking up the offering. I hope when you came in, you got a bulletin. On the back of that bulletin, there'll be some notes that if you want to avail yourself of as we walk through this passage, this morning. Those bulletin notes are there. Also inside the bulletin, there are a tremendous amount of information of some things that are going on around the life of the church. Ways that you can be involved, ways that you can be engaged in the life of the church. We are in the midst of a series that I have called Foundation. It's this idea that there are certain foundational truths, there's certain foundational principles, there's certain foundational um, things that God has put into our lives that should guard our faith, that should guard our practices that should guard with how we believe and what we do in our daily lives. And so we are in Exodus chapter 20 looking at these foundations. Historically, the church has called them the Ten Commandments. I am not trying to rewrite scripture. I am just trying to remind us that these Ten Commandments are still relevant 
today. Sometimes in our daily walks, we think, well, that's the Old Testament or that's the Bible. That's not applicable. That's not sufficient. That's not relevant today. And yet so many times we're reminded throughout the Word of God that God's Word is still sufficient, that God's Word is still applicable, and that God's Word is still meant to be lived by us right now, today. There are things that we find in the Word of God that are foundational for how we live. So whether you're a man on how you treat your wife, or you treat your children, or you treat the people around you. If you're a woman, how you treat your husband, how you treat your children, how you treat the people around you. As a church, how it is that we interact and love on one another is built upon some foundational truths that God gives us. So we've been walking through this. And this morning we are on number Seven, talking about looking at the sanctity of marriage. So I want you to look with me. We're going to read one verse and then we're going to use that as a springboard to get to where the other places that we're going this morning. But here in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, we see the seventh commandment, the seventh foundation that God gives his people to give his church, to give us this morning. This is it. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. Now I realize in a room like this, I'm looking at mature adults, I'm looking at young adults, I'm looking at students, I'm looking at children, and I know this can be a very touchy subject to really just say, well, how much are we going to talk about this, preacher? And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to talk about as much as the Bible talks about it. And that's where we're going to start, and that's where we're going to stop. And so right here, in the seventh commandment, God tells his people, God tells the people that are sitting there, he's giving Moses a word to give to the people, and he says, one of your foundations will be, you shall not commit adultery. So let's just kind of go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. What is adultery? Now I don't have some scientific definition. I don't have some Webster dictionary definition. Here's how I'm going to define what is adultery. When married persons or married people engage in or activities outside of marriage that is to be reserved for marriage. Now you parents you children have further questions, go home and talk to your parents. Your parents want to give more definition, go home and talk to your children. But I'm going to tell you that when we talk about adultery, we are not talking about all the things, and this is where the rabbit trails come in, all the things the New Testament talks about further on in Deuteronomy. Elsewhere in Exodus, they go into further explanation as far as the morality laws and men and women, all those things. But within the confines of this text right here in verse 14, God says, you shall not commit Adultery. But here's the question that I think comes to my mind that may come to your mind. Why? What does it matter? We are living in a day and age that people swap spouses like they do clothing. I mean, you look weekly, or you look at the People magazines, or you look at the kiosk as you're going through the supermarket, and they have all the who's with who today, and who is with who now. In fact, there is an entire TV show, I think it's TMZ, I think there's an entire TV show that's out there that they're all about the juicy information on him and her, and who they're with, and who they're dating, and who they're running around with, and who they're being seen with. It's this idea that nobody is saying, wait, hold up, this is ludicrous. And yet we're living in a day and age that the world around us continually tries to redefine what marriage is, continually tries to redefine the confines of marriage, continually tries to redefine the sanctity of marriage. So 
God comes in here in this passage and he says, you shall not commit adultery. He's looking at husbands and wives and he's saying there is something special about the marriage that is not to be violated. So why? Why does it matter? I've given you three reasons that we're going to look at there in your notes. Three reasons why the sanctity of marriage matters and more importantly, why God gives us this foundational command and why it matters today. So here we go. Why does it matter? Well, first of all, I want to remind you that it matters because God created marriage. God created marriage. So when he comes there in verse 14 in Exodus chapter 20, and he says, you shall not commit adultery, God has the right to make that kind of statement. Why? One, because he's God. Which should go as a given. But the second reason is, is because God is the one that created marriage. And you may say, well, no, he didn't. The state created marriage. No, the state didn't create marriage. You didn't create marriage. Government didn't create marriage. God created marriage. Let me show it to you. Genesis chapter 2. God had created Adam. And he had Adam naming all the animals, all the birds, all the things. He's giving them all names. And then in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God saw that Adam was alone, didn't have a spouse, didn't have a helper, didn't have a wife that was suitable for him. And so what does it say there? You go on in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21 and it says, So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is that last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Then verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Right here at the very beginning we see God creates marriage. God creates marriage between a man and a woman which that's another rabbit trail that we can get on that I would love to spend the rest of the afternoon talking to you about the definition of marriage especially in light of the world today. Check out, I, I, I can't do that. We Got to stay right where we're at. Okay, so, but he's, but God, since God created marriage, he created man and woman. He's the one that brought them together in a marital union. He brought it together, so God created it, so therefore God defines it. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. The Bible doesn't care what popular opinion says. I am not worried about what history or tradition says. I am not so much concerned about what your emotions or what your feelings say. God has created it. And as God has created it, God then defines it. God gets to choose what it's going to be and what it's not going to be. One of the reasons why adultery is such a big deal and why God knows it's such a big deal is because it flies in the face of His created purpose. God created marriage to be a holy matrimony between a man and a woman and adultery comes in and violates that. It breaks that. It compromises that. It corrupts that. And God says, this is a big deal to me because this is what I created. Our boys probably have, I don't know, 100,000 Legos. 
And it started off with a little kid here, and it started off with a little kid there, and they'll put these Legos together, and they'll spend all day long at the house, and they'll be building Legos. We got tubs of these things laying around. Most of them, they get picked up at night, but a couple of times I've stepped on them in the middle of the night, but, you know, that's just part of being a father. That's, that's part of the stuff you're going to miss whenever they're out of the house. But they'll sit there all day long, and they'll build these Lego contraptions, and then I'll get home, and the boys will come up and say, Daddy, 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 look what I built, and they'll be so excited about showing me what they built, and I'll look at it, and I'll be, well, that's great, son. That's awesome, son. That's wonderful, son. But they got brothers. So Wyatt will spend all day long building something with a Lego, and then he'll make Luke mad. Luke wants to do smash it. That's right. So what Luke will do, Luke will get mad and he'll run in there and he'll grab that thing that Wyatt has spent all day and he'll smash it on the ground and then Wyatt will be like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, he'll say like Jerry Clower and he'll just, he'll be so worked up and he'll be so upset because his faith, his Lego that he spent all day long making was busted and it's all this thing and Wyatt's so upset because he had created this and this was his and it was special and it was valuable in his life. Luke is corrupting it. Luke is compromising. Luke is destroying it because it doesn't matter to Luke. And I wonder how many times God looks at us and says the exact same thing. I've created this. I established this. I designed this. I gave this to my people as a gift. And then look what the people are doing with what I've given them. They destroy it. They demolish it. They take it for granted. They trash it. They don't have any respect, reverence, or regard for what I have created. So when we get here to Exodus chapter 20 and we're reminded that he says you shall not commit adultery, the first reason why this matters still today is because God created marriage. If nothing else, even if we were to stop right here and to understand that since God created marriage, then God gets to define what marriage is. But there's a second reason that I want to show you. A second reason that I want to bring to your attention of why this matters and especially why this matters today. And the second reason is this. Because Satan attacks marriages. Because Satan attacks marriages. A little rabbit trail if you will. I always, when I write Satan, I always try to put in the lowercase. I always try to put in the lowercase. But for some reason, Microsoft Word decides that it's because it's a proper name, it's supposed to be capitalized. So I think, yeah, see, see, it's the curse of the Satan. He, he capitalized his own name. Even though I try to put it in the lowercase, he comes back. So if you're notes, you might just put it in the lowercase Satan. It's one of those things that I do, like a little passive aggressiveness. I, I'll never, I mean, you know, like how the OU fans will put Texas upside down. So I got this little passive aggressive thing. I will never write a capital S for Satan. Okay, back on subject. Okay, so Satan attacks Marriages. You may say, well, Spence, where in the world do you get this idea from that Satan attacks marriages? Well, look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Excuse me. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. God brought marriage together. We were right there at the last part of chapter 2. God had created man and woman. He brought them together in marriage. And then right the very couple of verses later, what happens in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1? Listen. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? This is the beginning of the fall. This is the beginning of the account of Satan coming to the woman, deceiving the woman. The man was there. Adam isn't off the hook. Adam isn't held uh, uh, irresponsible in this, or he's not held, uh, he, he's still responsible in this, I'm trying to say. But this idea that 
Satan comes, and who does he address? He begins by looking at Eve. In other words, he is always looking to divide. Satan attacks marriages, and the way, one of the ways that he does that is he looks to divide. He's always looking to divide husband and wife. He's always looking to divide truth and, and wrong. He's always looking to divide light and darkness. He's always looking for ways to divide those things around him. And Satan comes right in here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 and the first thing he does is he wants to bring division between the man and the woman and more importantly between mankind and God. And so Satan is always trying to attack marriages. Why are we surprised when our marriages struggle. You see young people today and they get married and they think every day is just going to be wonderful. Every day can be wonderful. <laughs> if, you're every, if you're wonderful every day. <laughs> Jaylene and I have been married over 15 years. Every day that we've been married could have been the best day of our lives. If... For every day since then, I have been the best husband in her life. And the vice versa goes. See, the danger is that Satan is always looking for ways to bring division, not just between creation and the creator, not just between truth and light, or truth and darkness, but between man and woman. He's always trying to bring division. And so right here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, he's trying to bring division between Satan, or between, by, trying to bring division between Adam and Eve. Just think with me back to Job chapter 2. Job comes in there. He is serving God. God allows Satan to take the things from Job. Job is uh, distraught. He has struck his family, his livestock, his possessions. Everything has been taken from him in a matter of moments and in a matter of just brief seconds. And then you get down to Job chapter 2 and verse 9. And listen to what the Bible says. Then his wife said to him, this is talking about Job's wife. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil. In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. I want to remind you this morning that not only does Satan seek to divide, but Satan also looks to disqualify. Satan is always looking to disqualify you and I from service and use in the kingdom of God. That's why Satan is so active in these young people's lives, trying to tempt them, trying to sway them, trying to draw them to sin, debauchery, lasciviousness, all of these things so that you will think, I am no use to God. I am too broken. I am too destroyed. I am too disqualified. Satan attacks marriages. He looks to divide in marriages. He looks to disqualify in marriages. He also looks to redefine what marriage is. Let me read for you. I know I'm quickly running out of time, but let me read for you a passage out of Matthew chapter 19. I would invite for you to go back and read on your own what he talks about marriage. But in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and these religious leaders come to Jesus and they want him to give an answer. And when divorce is allowed and when it's not allowed. When it's permitted and when it's not permitted. Isn't that a hot topic that we're living with today in this world? It has to do with marriage and remarriage. But listen to what Jesus tells the people. Chapter 19 of Matthew, verse 4. He says, have you... Not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, 
Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? One to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And he said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. The idea that Jesus is coming in and Jesus understands that Satan's attempts, Satan's tricks are always to redefine the definitions. To redefine the standards of God. They come in and they say, well Moses said we could do this, but you're saying we can't do that. And he said the reason why Moses gave you that is because you're sinful, rebellious hearts. You didn't want to listen to what God said and so there were some allowances made. But from the very beginning, it was not so. Satan is continually trying to attack our marriages. We have too many people growing up in this day and age that have a false understanding of what it means to be married. What they think is that marriage is an emotion. That marriage is a feeling. That they're going to be quitterpated. They're going to be starstruck. Oh, they're just going to be so in love with him or her all the days of their life. And then they get and they realize that sometimes marriage is a commitment. Sometimes marriage is a devotion. More days than we realize marriage is a choice. And we have these young people that are growing up and they are thinking that they are the ones that define marriage. They are going to be the ones that are going to enjoy marriage and they misunderstand or they miss the key fundamental fundamental truths that God created marriage and that we understand that Satan is continually attacking marriages. So back in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, God comes in and he says, you shall not commit adultery. Well, Spence, what is such the big deal? All right, preacher, I got it. God created marriage, and I understand that, that Satan is always trying to attack marriages. But really, really, what is the big deal? What does it matter about this subject or this instance of adultery? Why does it matter? And let me thirdly give you the reason why I think it matters this morning is because adultery destroys marriages. Adultery destroys marriages. And why would we want to destroy something that God has given us? Why would we want to destroy something that God has blessed us with? Those boys from time to time, they'll say, Daddy, will you sit down and play Legos with us? And so I'll sit down there and I'll begin to play and I'll begin to construct and I'll begin to build something out of Legos and it never fails. Usually it's one of the precious boys named Wyatt. He will come in there and I'll be about three-fourths of the way through building something and he'll come in there and he'll just destroy it. And I look at him like, what? You asked me to sit down and play Legos. You asked me to help you build something and then I get most of the way through building it and you destroy it. He just looks at me like, ha, 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 ha. And I wonder if that's not what God is doing with us. God says, I gave you marriage for companionship. I gave you marriage for fruitfulness. I gave you marriage as a blessing. I gave you marriage as a gift, as a, as a means of grace. I gave you marriage as something for your benefit and for your joy and for your good. And then you're taking it and you're just destroying it. What does it matter? Because adultery forfeits trust. That's what the thing that God is trying to get us to right here in the text. He wants to remind us. He's bringing to mind this reality and this idea, this truth, that adultery forfeits trust. And when you have a marriage, there's so much of the marriage that is built upon trust. Not only does it forfeit trust, but also that adultery is an act of disobedience. God says, don't do it. 
God says be faithful. God doesn't say you always have it your way. He doesn't say that you're always going to be, have those feelings, those warm, fuzzy emotions. He says, this is the commitment. This is the devotion. This is the way you should act. And if nothing else, adultery violates the command, our commitments to God. It violates our commitments to God. You stand before God at the front of the church or the event center nowadays is where it's going to. And you stand before God and you make a commitment to God. But you're going to love and cherish that person till death do you part. You make that commitment to God that you are engaging in not a social contract, but you are engaging in a spiritual commitment. And why do we think that we can break it or destroy it the drop of a hat? So God comes in here in the seventh commandment and he tells them, you should not commit adultery. And I know that the majority of you that are in here this morning, the majority of you that might be listening to me via the internet or some other method, the majority of you, you're saying, well, Spence, that doesn't apply to me. Spence, I'm not guilty of that. Spence, that doesn't matter. But may I tell you, friend, may I tell you, brother or sister in Christ, it matters because every single day we are being bombarded with the world that is constantly trying to take marriage for granted. They are constantly trying to redefine what marriage is and they are continually trying to move the boundaries of what God has created this thing to be. So we need to ask ourselves as a church and we need to ask ourselves as people. Where do we stand? Or more importantly, maybe there in your notes, how is our foundation this morning? So let me ask you three questions in the way of application and examining our foundation and then we'll, I'll be in my seat this morning. The first question I would ask is, is what definition are we using? Or maybe more importantly, what definition are you using? If you were to come in and I was going to tell you we were going to have a pop quiz and I would ask you to sit down and write down what your definition of marriage is, I wonder what definition are you using? Has the definition changed? Is the definition aligned with the Word of God? What definition are you using? See, we're so good in the church today using definitions that fit our joy, that that, that fit our pleasure, that fit what we want. You ask me what grace is. Oh, grace, 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 grace. Grace is getting something that I don't deserve. Grace. Oh, I love grace. I'm happy with the definition of grace. I don't want God to do anything with the definition of grace because I am always on the receiving end of grace. But then he says truth. Well, you know what? Truth is relative. Truth is contextual. Truth is fluid. See, there's some definitions that we don't mind staying as they are and some definitions we're constantly changing. So let me tell you some definitions that I don't think should ever change based upon the Word of God. Forgiveness. God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. So that if you have never been forgiven of your sins, you've never taken the moment to repent and confess your sins and turn to Jesus, you can now be saved by crying out, faith and trusting in Jesus Christ. There's a forgiveness that is available to you and I. A forgiveness for our sins. That definition of atonement, that definition of propitiation, that definition of forgiveness, that definition of salvation has not, will not, and will never change. But so many times we think we can define sin or redefine what is wrong or to redefine what God says is true. So what definition are we using? Secondly, 
Whose hope are we sharing? We have an entire culture out there today that they are in peril. They are in crisis. They are struggling. They are sitting there and they're saying, I'm not happy or I'm upset or I'm frustrating. My needs aren't being met. I do not feel satisfied. I am not happy. He is not meeting. She is not meeting my needs. And we have all of these reasons out there. And when they come to you saying, what should I do? The question is, is whose hope are we sharing? Are we going to look at them and say, but you made a commitment to God and you need to be... God and you need to be following after God's plan and purpose for your life or we look at them and say well let's just find a way to get out our hope doesn't save our hope doesn't help the only hope and help that we have to give to anyone that has any spiritual benefit for their lives is the hope that we have from God And the hope that we have through the Word of God. And the hope that He tells us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. The hope that He has told us that we be faithful and let Him worry about the fruit. The hope that we have that He tells us that if we follow after Him, there is an eternity waiting with Him. The hope that we have that He has a greater plan, a greater purpose, a greater vision in His mind than we could ever think of. I'm not living based upon my story. I'm living based upon his story. The hope that I have that it's not a matter of me always getting what I want out of marriage. The hope that I have that the more I give, the more I get. The hope that I have that I am not living for today. I'm living for eternity. And we need to communicate to to our people. We need to communicate that to our families. We need to communicate that to our marriages. We need to communicate that to our young people. We need to communicate that to the world in which we're living in. That our hope is not built upon the temporal satisfaction in a relationship or in the physicalness of of some type of romantic thing. Our hope is not built upon a possession. Our hope is not built upon an experience. Our hope is built upon our salvation in Jesus Christ. Which leads to this third one. What truth are we living? What definition are we using? What hope are we sharing? What truth are we living? Because unfortunately we're living in a day and age when the marriage is under attack. Divorce is at an all-time high. Cohabitation is at an all-time high. Immorality is at an all-time high. The age at which we have young people engaging in immorality is at an all-time low. You have movies coming out just in the last couple of weeks on Netflix where you have young girls acting immoral, dressed immodestly, and that is being promoted and applauded as, oh, look at their expression. We're living in a day and age that our young people are being combated with what it is that it means to be valued. What it is to mean have self-esteem. What it is to be wanted. What it is to be loved. What it is to be cherished. We as a church have a responsibility to come in and show them the truth. That marriage matters. Marriage matters because God created marriage. And marriage is difficult and marriage is a struggle because Satan is always attacking marriages. 
And when we see these young people and we tell them and we teach them and we show them and we model for them and we're a witness before them and we, and we, we, we walk alongside of them. We don't look for ways to pull the eject button. We don't look for ways to get them out of the situation we're in. We come along with, and we tell them, this is what it's going to be. This is what God has designed it to be. And I want to be here with you because I want to be on the, on the side that God is on. We are continually striving to encourage, to support, and to lift up the people in our lives. So what foundation are we going to be living from in the years to come? See, if we begin today starting to redefine the terminology, if we begin today trying to make everything fluid, if we begin today trying to say that everything is whatever we wanted to make it to be, then we are unhinging ourselves. We are unanchoring ourselves from the Word of God. So God comes in here in chapter, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 14, and He says, You shall not commit adultery. But more importantly, for our sake this morning, church, we need to ask ourselves, Where do I stand on the sanctity of marriage this morning? Where do I stand on God's definition of marriage today? And where do I stand in my relationship and fellowship to God? See, so many times Satan is trying to attack us and he's trying to divide us, he's trying to disqualify us, he's trying to bring us down. And you might be here this morning and you may say, well, Spence, you know what? I'm not dealing with the marriage issue. I'm not dealing with the adultery issue. I'm not dealing with the fidelity issue, but I am dealing with a heart issue. I'm dealing with a heart the issue that has turned its way from God, a heart issue that has, has walked away from uh, where God wants me to be, a heart issue that has walked away from faithfulness from Him. And this morning, it's a matter that I've been trying to redefine what it means to be a Christian. Maybe today you need to get back on God's definition of what faithfulness is. Or maybe you have been living by a definition saying, well, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is how I know that I'm going to go to heaven because I've done enough good works or because I come to church or because I'm not that bad of a person or because I try to do better than other people or because I am better than someone else. And maybe you've been living off this definition of what salvation is for too long and you need to be reminded this morning that just like God has a definition for marriage, God has a definition for salvation. Or maybe it's the definition of sin that you're struggling with. And you've accommodated sin, you've allowed sin, you've compromised with sin for so long that your definition of what is right and wrong is not God's definition of what is right and wrong. I don't think this morning is just a morning about adultery or about marriage. It's about our hearts and it's about our lives and it's about the definition that God has given us. So, the question stands before you. What definition are you living your life off of today? Bow your heads with me.